Hey folks, Zach Osterman here, IU Insider, Indianapolis Star. Uh, it is Friday, June 24th. Forgive me, my brain's a little foggy. I'm, uh, Dustin, uh, the Rona has finally come for me. Um, been on the mend all week. Um, so that's, that's also why my voice sounds a little bit raspy. But uh, back at work, and um, I think we did, you know, I don't know that we have some driving you know, sort of single unifying topic to this, but it just feels like a good, a good day to just kind of check in on a lot of little things. We've gotten to talk to a few players in the last couple of weeks. Um, obviously we talked to Mike Woodson at Huber farms about a month ago. Um, we, uh, we now know Indiana's ACC big 10 challenge opponent. I suspect if they are in the Gavit games this year, we'll know that again, we'll know that soon as well. Um, so it, you know, it just, as it does this time of year, the season to come is really beginning to take shape. Yeah, no, agreed. I mean, obviously the, um, I, the, the ACC 10 uh, big 10 challenge news with them playing North Carolina, I, th- I think is pretty big news. I mean, obviously um, it, it, it evinces, uh, a, you know, a belief on the part of the big 10 and the ACC that uh, Indiana deserves another marquee game. Um, basically that, that Indiana is, you know, obviously going to be highly, uh, rated going into the season, going to be one of the, um, you know, favorites in the league. And by, because of that, they're sort of granted, uh, you know, one of the, um, marquee games in this event, uh, which I, I think is a big deal, obviously, because, you know, last year, uh, their, their ACC Big Ten game didn't end up doing much for them. They obviously went on the road, played Syracuse, got beat. Uh, Syracuse didn't end up being that good. I mean, obviously, whenever you're playing Syracuse, just because of the name, uh, there's some marquee element to it. And I think it was well featured as far as uh, television was concerned, but ultimately just didn't help them much when it came to uh, NET ranking at the end of the year. Um, so it's a big deal. I think that Indiana is playing a team that I think is going to be favored, one of the, the favorites to win a national championship. Uh, and obviously it adds, I think, a lot to the overall heft of the schedule. You already got North Carolina and Arizona on the list. You tack on North Carolina as part of this, or I'm sorry, Kansas and Arizona on the list. Um, so you end up playing both teams that played in the national championship game uh, last season. So I, I think a pretty big deal. And, and, and again, though, I, th- I think it's important that it says something about how how Indiana is viewed. I think that will make a difference, uh, you know, for their Gavit opponent um, and basically how they're televised this season, um, how you know, the, the sort of exposure they get uh, in year two under Mike Woodson. Um, so I, I think that's a pretty important deal. And, I, I, you know, we're starting to get a sense also of how this team is forming. I think it was interesting that the two players we've talked to so far were Race Thompson and Jalen hood So you have the guy that's been there the longest and maybe the most important player in this freshman class, uh, you know, for Indiana, you know, they obviously have two five stars who were on the same team last year, but hood has the more likely, uh, is the more likely of having to play an immediate role. Um, and, you know, probably having to start, frankly. Uh, so we, I think we were able to get a sense of where both of those guys are at and, and get some idea of just the direction things are heading. And, and obviously it's it's practice and, and there's not going to be too many bumps in the road at this point. But uh, they, they seem to have a good feel for, you know, where things are going so far. It's three uh, teams Indiana is now projected to play in the top 15 of and again, it's it's June 24th, but you know, these are the metrics we have and we, we trust them during the season. So I think we had to have to give them at least some credence um, in the preseason. Uh, Bart Torvik's 
early 2023 projections, which, you know, I know Bart works hard to take into account transfers and to project out freshmen and, and maybe, not, you know, not be overly bullish. I mean, to give people an example in, on Indiana, um, you know, his, his in, in terms of he, he builds for every team sort of a, a top 10 projected contributors and stats line. I mean, Jalen Hutchifino is sixth uh, in, in points per game and his projection averaging just six points and 3.5 rebounds per game. And so my, my point is it's, you know, I think, I think Bart does a good job to at least try and not, you know, let anything get overweighted by subjectivity as much as you can in, in looking at these projections or trying to build these sorts of projections when it is late June, but three teams already in that top 14, either confirmed on Indiana's schedule or in Arizona's case, we expect that to happen. Um, you know, my understanding as of now is that everything is still sort of just a formality there. Um, could add another one. You know, a, a lot of people, I think, and this is maybe projecting a little bit more, but I think a lot of people still, you know, look at that at that Creighton or excuse me, at that Villanova, the possibility of Villanova and the Gavit games. If Indiana is involved there, I think Creighton would be another interesting opponent. I, I, I know Indiana has played Creighton in the Gavit games. I don't know how the Gavit games feels about um, I don't know, because it's worth saying that ESPN sets the ACC Big Ten matchups as much as the conferences do. ESPN plays a really large role in that. My understanding of the Gavit has always been that that's much more the conferences. And, and then they kind of take those pairings to their television partners, primarily, obviously, Fox. And, and it's it's various different sort of uh, arms. So, you know, I don't know how they feel. I don't know if there have been rematches in the Gavit games Um you know, across the first, what, five years here, because I think they didn't actually technically do them in 2020 um, because of the truncated season, truncated non-conference season, I should say. Um, but, you know, if Indiana has played Creighton, but Creighton might well wind up being the favorite in the Big East. Um, so maybe there's maybe there's something there. Indiana has not played Xavier, um, a team that obviously, I mean, you know, <laughs> that that would open up all sorts of fascinating storylines. Um, I think a lot of people do are just kind of fixated on the idea of playing Villanova. And if you played Villanova, I suspect that game would get moved to the Wells Fargo Center um, or Arena, whichever it is. I get them confused because when Indiana went to the tournament in 2016, they played well one Wells Fargo sponsored arena in Des Moines and another Wells Fargo sponsored arena in Philadelphia. And one was a center and one was an arena. And I don't remember which, but um, the point is there is a chance for, you know, there is a chance at least <laughs> that Indiana's non-conference schedule could include Kansas and Villanova on the road, UNC at home and Arizona on a neutral floor. Mike Woodson talked about this. He talked about wanting these kinds of schedules once he felt his team was comfortable with sort of his methods and his system and his style. Um, I do think there's, I mean, I, I think in general, teams like Indiana should schedule tough. I think you should challenge yourself that way. I think that you should set the bar there and try to meet it rather than trying to bring the bar down to you as much as possible. If, if you're Indiana and you want to say, we want to compete for big 10 titles and final fours and national championships, then you need to act like it. Um, but I think there's also a lot of value in, you know, frankly, we see this Indiana team as a Big Ten favorite because we feel like there's there's a lot more that we can trust about Indiana than, than most of its competitors. 
but we still have a lot of questions about Indiana. And I don't think anybody expects Indiana to sort of tear off and win the league by four games. I can't think of a better season for Indiana to really push itself in the non-conference from a Big Ten title perspective than one where the rest of the league is probably going to need some, some time to really figure out what it's about. You know, what's our identity? You know, what are our, you know, what are our sort of core strengths? Who are our best players, et cetera? Indiana's got some things to figure out, but but they've got a lot of the, the, the fundamentals and the foundational pieces already in place. I think this is a good year, even if you get roughed up a little bit in the non-conference, to roll with a non-conference schedule that is going to give you a very clear-eyed sense of who and what you are starting on, you know, I know they'll play two Big Ten games in December, but really starting January 1 and moving forward, I think that that could give you a real leg up on the league. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, obviously, they're, they're going to be the most established team. You know, whether they're the best team or not, obviously, we have questions about this team. We're not sure about them as far as shooting is concerned. Um, but, you know, testing them, pushing them, they're going to be more built for that in November and December than some other teams are. Um, and, and they can go 0-4 in these big games. If, if it's Villanova in the, in the Gavit, you know, you know, obviously now Carolina in the ACC, presuming this, this Arizona game does get done, I guess it's not finished yet, but it's by all accounts going to happen. Um, and Kansas, they can go 0-4 in that and be okay. I mean, I like it. It reminds me of like some Michigan State teams where, where Izzo sort of went nuts uh, with the scheduling in, in part to sort of bury, you know, Michigan State and everybody's understanding. And then they come back, come out and, and win the Big Ten, uh, even though they went out and got beat by Duke, Carolina, Kansas, and whoever else it was they played. Uh, I, I think this can be one of those sort of deals where, you know, in, in Indiana can go 0-4 in those games. You know, if they get even one of them, it makes a huge difference for their resume. Um, but they get pushed to get a sense of what it looks like at the highest level. Um, and then they get into a Big Ten that's going to be a little bit depleted uh, because of, of everybody, frankly, um, that they lost, you know, last night as we're recording this. I mean, how, how many guys got drafted last night from the Big Ten? Eight, nine, ten? Yeah, I mean, something. I mean, you were certainly at least reminded when I think what three lottery pick wing type players and not that we didn't expect them to go, but um, you know, when, when you just see the quality of talent, you know, leaving the conference, you're, you're reminded just how much uncertainty there is. And in terms of like basic, I mean, basic stuff, like who's going to be the leading scorer at Ohio state, you know? Yeah. No idea. Who's, who's going to anchor the defense at Illinois when you know it's it's been defensively that Brad Underwood's built these last three seasons on, who's you know who 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 does Michigan's offense flow through? Um, That's I think the only answer you have. You know, I mean, basically, just like I mean, it, it even like you look at Purdue, and I think Purdue's got a lot of talent coming back, but in some ways they're even more front court lopsided than they were last year. We're right now on paper because all the guys you feel like you can count on there are front court players. So it just, yeah. yeah I mean, it was certainly a reminder. Four instead of the five. Yeah. It's the four instead of the five. Yeah. That, that almost every other team in the conference that will enter this season with legitimate ambitions of being in the title race in March has like, just like, you know, marrow deep questions to answer. 
Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, like, like you said in Purdue, I mean, they, they, they don't have the centers that they don't basically like, I mean, I think Caleb first probably slides down to play as, as a more small ball five. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they don't have a, they, they, they don't know who their point guard is. I mean, maybe it's Ethan Morton, maybe who, who was running some four last year uh, and running some three. I mean, you, you, so you don't know, like you said, I'm mean, Ohio state, you know, basically you're looking at three transfers in a really good freshman class, but like their best returning player, I think it's that key. Um, so you have no idea who they're going to be. You don't like you, you have, you know, you're presuming Illinois is going to get by on the transfers on, on, uh, on Terrence Shannon and Matthew Mayer. You presume those are going to be two of their best players. Uh, and then after that Sky Clark, the freshman. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, basically on almost every team in the league, you're like, well, who, who even are these guys going to be? Um, and, and, you know, in some cases you're, you're only going to be starting to find out about that, um, when you get to that late November, early December, uh, you know, ACC big 10 challenge games where, where Indiana is at least going to have a sense of itself when it opens is going to be much more, um, put together team by the time they get Carolina than anybody else in in the big 10. And so, but then, you know, push that a month forward where you've also got, you know, they've played in Arizona and they've played at Kansas. Um, they're going to have a much better idea of, of who they are uh, basically at that point, and that they're, they're going to be pretty well put together. Again, you, you might see one of these other teams in Ohio State and Illinois and Michigan, a Purdue, you know, make a big run, turn themselves around, even Michigan State, uh, end up being a lot stronger uh, than we realize they're going to be right now. Um, and, you know, the, the Achilles heel of, of Indiana shooting could very much still be a problem at that point, but I think we still have a much better um, again, less, fewer reasons not to trust Indiana than you have not to trust everybody else. I think, I mean, I, I would argue that, that Indiana should welcome a Gavit games opponent this year. And I, and I, I, I mean, my suspicion is they'll get one in part because we know they're, they're signed up for the empire classic next year. Um, and that's the, the dates for that this year and November 21st and 22nd. Um, which is effectively the third week of the college basketball season. Normally the Gavit games are played the second week. Now, listen, Indiana, I mean, Indiana got Creighton in 2015 right before it went to Maui with Duke and Notre Dame on the schedule as well in December. Um, so it's it's not like Indiana's never gotten a Gavit games pairing when it's also had a uh, a November tournament on its schedule. Um, but you're going to have, I mean, I'm, I'm struggling to remember what are the other three teams in that empire classic is it like Texas, Louisville and somebody else. Um, I, 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 feel, like, I feel like Connecticut. Am I wrong? about Yeah, that? I think you might be right about that. I'll, I'll find that out and actually present some facts on this as opposed to just wandering in the recesses of my memory um, in a minute. But I think, you know, you'll, you'll have two quality games there. Obviously there will be an ACC big 10 game on the schedule for next year. You've got the return trip from Kansas. If you want to do anything else with that, that December date, uh, that right, you know, right now, this season it's December 10th, but it's that Saturday, that second Saturday in December that, as we've discussed before, is not co-opted. The first Saturday in forever that's not co-opted by college football. Um, you, you, you know, if you're Indiana, I think you might want to do something with that. I wouldn't be surprised, basically, if Indiana would prefer. And, again, the conferences, my understanding has always been, have and maybe this has changed down the years but this goes back to kind of the inception of the Gavit games and talking to people about it then my perception has always been that the conferences play a much more hands-on role in the pairings 
for the Gabbett games, whereas ESPN is a very active partner in the ACC Big Ten pairings um, because ESPN ultimately is, is the kind of the organizing body of all that and puts it all on TV. Um, as much as Indiana could lobby for it, and maybe they can, maybe they can't, I'm not sure, it would make sense to me for Indiana to maybe want a Gabbett games opponent this year and then maybe have the Empire Classic, Kansas, the ACC Big Ten, and then if you can find something interesting to do with that second Saturday in December next season, um, you know, I mean, maybe you'd rather have the Gabbett games next year and just, you know, you know, forsake that Saturday. I don't know. But to me, you know, if, if I'm Mike Woodson, I, I would see a lot of value. Again, as much as Indiana may or may not be able to lobby for this, um, because the other thing, too, is let's say it is Villanova on the road or, you know, um, you know, I mean, maybe they'd even match him up with like UConn on the road or something like that. Um, I don't know where UConn factors into the gamut because obviously they just came back into the Big East. So maybe I wonder if UConn, maybe they were involved last year and I'm, I, I'm not uh, and I'm already speaking out of school, but I wonder if UConn can or can't be involved with the Gavit, like kind of in the first days here, the first, um, the first kind of, they did, they did not play in the Gavit games last year, which was their first year, uh, their first full season back in the Big East. I wonder if UConn can't be involved because I think there was a, like I know Indiana agreed to five of seven years, and I think some other schools agreed to four of seven years. I don't know if you can just fit UConn into that math at the back end of that first round of it. Um, but if you're Mike Woodson, you, you might look at that and say, well, we get a, you know, basically the first full week of the season, a nice road test. Then coming out of Thanksgiving, we'll get a, we'll get a really good home game. Then we'll hit that gauntlet of big 10, big 10, Arizona, Kansas. It, you know, it, you get, there's kind of a nice little sort of, there's some, there's some good gaps there, I guess, is my point where you're not only are you playing a non-conference that'll give you the opportunity for quality wins and let you test yourself, but you're also playing a non-conference where you play a tough game early, then you'll get some time to work on things. Then you'll play another tough game. Then we obviously don't know what the big 10 matchups are yet. You could get a couple tough draws early, you know, historically Indiana's gotten, you know, has, has not been tested hugely early in the big 10 schedule. And it, I guess at least, as I perceive it, and I'm sure I could go back and find examples that, that refute this, but my perception has always kind of been that the Big Ten would prefer not to put any of its like huge marquee games. Like it wouldn't want Michigan, Michigan State pre-Christmas or Indiana, Purdue pre-Christmas or, you know, let's even like an Indiana, Michigan, something that might be a Big Ten title type, you know, matchup. They want all that stuff to be in the new year. So you would imagine that maybe at least one, if not both of those Big Ten games will be a little bit more straightforward. I know they've gone to Wisconsin pre-Christmas before, including last season, so it's not like that's a universal rule. But I just feel like maybe a Gabbitt games early on means you get a good hard look at yourself early, some time to work on some things, then you get UNC, then you have this, this little gauntlet that you've always, you've always known is there, but there are also some gaps in there for dead week, for finals week, et cetera. Um, I think that, that, again, kind of the idea of this non-conference schedule being about maybe picking up a quality win or two, but also really trying to 
you know, kind of sharpen yourself for a push at a Big Ten title while the rest of the league is still figuring stuff out, it might not hurt to have, you know, kind of tests periodically along the way in November, December, rather than cramming them all into one little gap. Yeah, no, agreed. Uh, I mean, obviously the, um, the, the, the Big Ten's pers- – or um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, their handling of these early December games is interesting because it, 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 it does seem like Indiana-Wisconsin is a frequent one. It's that, like there's, there's a certain level of game that they're willing to have, and Indiana-Wisconsin is sort of at that level. And like Indiana-Michigan, Indiana-Ohio State, and, and some of these others are above it that they don't want to mess with those and, and throw away a potentially good you know, ratings draw or, or a game that matters in the Big Ten. Um, but Indiana, Wisconsin is sort of right at that level. And I think a lot of the other Big Ten games are similar that you see. Um, I'm trying to think of, of other good examples uh, of teams that, have, that, that play. It's almost like in the same way ESPN decides that like Purdue and Florida State is like a, a, a Big Ten ACC game that just has to happen. They're like not willing to give either one of those teams a better game for some reason ever. Uh, it's like that, that's the level of, of where they're le- allowed to let those teams play. Like Indiana, Wisconsin is about where they're willing to do, you know, a, a December big 10 game that that's about as high as they're willing to go. Um, but I think, yeah, no, I mean, just, just the way it plays out the rhythm of it, I think, uh, it has a good, has, you know, good implications for Indiana and in that they're, they're not all going to be stacked. Uh, it is going to be a little bit of a gauntlet once you hit sort of the beginning of December there, you know, through that Kansas game. Uh, but they'll be able to slide in, I think, a couple, um, you know, sort of more winnable non-conference games in between. Um, so I, I think it's not going to be an overwhelming gauntlet. It could be, could be solid. I mean, obviously, if they could get like, you know, they tend to get a Nebraska in there or somebody like that. Um you know, in, in their December game. So it wouldn't surprise me to see something like that again, like a Penn State maybe, um, and, you know, get one of those games out of the way and make that a, a slightly more winnable game. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it just slots together well for them in, as far as development is concerned, cohesion is concerned, and just getting used to getting, figuring out who they are, what they have to do to win games. Uh, I think, it, yeah, no, it, it is coming together, I think, very nicely, uh, you know, for Mike Woodson so far, as far as the scheduling is concerned. And you can just tell that he's got, uh, obviously, things break differently for him. This, this ESPN game isn't under his control, but they've won enough and put themselves in a good position to get a game like that. Um, but, you know, has obviously decided it's that he has a group that he can push it with now um, and that, that now is the time to do it. It's, it. It seems to all be making sense. Yeah, I guess for, first for reference, um, the four years of the 20 game schedule or the, I guess the four years of, of having conference games in December, Indiana's got Iowa and Michigan one year, Penn State and Northwestern one year. Uh, and then actually the last two normal seasons ruling out 2020, 2021, um, the COVID year. Uh, Indiana has gone to Wisconsin and then played Nebraska at home in, in each of the last two normal calendars um, in terms of Big Ten games in December. Um, I think the, the one thing to kind of underscore in some respects, though, is I don't know. I, I underscore is not the right word. You said something about kind of Mike Woodson going for it. I think that the one thing I would say is, and this is not me declaring this, the golden age of, you know, Woody for IU basketball or anything like that. Um, people are going to have a field day with me saying that out loud. Yes, you are. Yes, they are. Yep. Yeah. It's, I mean, again, the, 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 the brain fog part of COVID is very real. Um, the number of times this week that I've just completely forgotten what I was doing uh, is, is a little bit unnerving, but 
um, I, I'm not declaring this the beginning of some, some, you know, some gilded age for IU basketball, but in the same breath, and I think we've, we've touched on this in different ways at different times, you know, th- this doesn't feel like kind of an all or nothing. Like this does not feel like a make or break season for Mike Woodson. What it feels like is in, in this, in the way that like, if, if Indiana had not, you know, had at least one of the two years that it had in years four and five under Tom Crean, we would have had to have had a serious sort of discussion and reevaluation of like the direction of the program and, and where, you know, is this working or is it time to move on or whatever? And I get that ultimately, you know, it, it ends poorly for Tom, in, in, at least in the sense that he gets fired, but um, he seizes that opportunity kind of in the moment when it's clearly there. And it's sort of like, don't, don't let this slip away. Um, it doesn't quite feel like that here with Mike Woodson. It more feels like circumstances have just kind of conspired to present this opportunity early in his tenure. Um, he's been handed a team that's very experienced, that's deep, that on paper is, is one of the most talented, if not the most talented in the conference. Again, it's not a team without question marks. It's not a team without, um, you know, weaknesses and, and shortcomings that need to be addressed, but um, it is clearly at least the most reliable and trustworthy team in the conference. And this feels as much like kind of a mixture of Woodson a feeling settled into the job and wanting to challenge himself and not wanting to sort of delay that process any longer and B maybe seeing this season as a, a slightly unexpected opportunity to try and, you know, kind of, I mean, you know, kind of, I don't want to say skip steps, but kind of vault Indiana a few rungs up the ladder at once. Um, and, you know, I mean, if, if Mike Woodson could win a big 10 title in year two or make a deep NCAA tournament and run in year two, it would be, I think, a, a substantial win, not just for the sense of, you know, Indiana being competitive again, but the sense of we told, we've been telling you for two years, this has all been moving in the right direction. Well, here's proof of that. Here's tangible, you know, physical, you can reach out and touch it, proof of it. It doesn't feel like this is kind of an all or nothing. Everything's been building toward this moment. And if Indiana finishes third in the Big Ten and loses in the round of 32, all will have been lost sort of thing. It just feels more like an opportunity that has opened up that Woodson is trying to seize as, as much as he's going to make this, you know, you know, any more than what it is. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd obviously agree with that. I mean, obviously there was a lot more buildup with Tom and it was coming from a lower place and it was just, there was a, a lot more drama involved in, in building that team, putting it together, and, and then an obviously desperate sense of you have all these guys together now, you're going to lose them. Some of them are going to be, you know, for some of them that it happened faster than they expected, you know, Victor Oladipo is going to be, uh, you know, is going to leave the draft after his junior year, which you would not have expected when you got him. Everything is coming together faster, and it, you have to deliver right now. Um, you know, you had to deliver something and, and you can obviously argue that, that the sweet 16 that he delivered wasn't good enough, but there was at least a great season in there from, from beginning, you know, from, uh, for most of it up until the Syracuse game. Um, but no, in this case, it's obviously, you, you do see that even if this group doesn't work out, uh, as well as it should, I mean, you, you probably still lose Trace Jackson Davis after this year and race Thompson's obviously gone and Xavier Johnson's obviously gone. 
um, for, you know, just being out of eligibility. Um, but, you know, you, you, you have two five stars in this group that you're bringing in and Huchifino and Reno, and, and, you know, you, you, you add some promising pieces in Caleb Banks and CJ Gunn, and you've already got guys you know, committed for next year. Um, you know, you have other pieces that you like, you know, Tamar Bates and whatnot. So you, you're, you're not seeing the cliff coming. Uh, it, it is just sort of the beginning of, of being able to build something. And, and if you can deliver something tangible now, uh, it only gives you more uh, more momentum going forward. It, it, it again, like you said, it doesn't crush you if this team doesn't uh, meet the expectations that that we're tending to set right now. I mean, I think everybody is saying with this group, it's like yes, they're they're Big Ten favorites by default. Mostly, uh, no one's looking at this group and saying it's flawless. No one is looking at looking at it the same way that it looked at that team. Where obviously that team, you said, okay, well, you know, it's national championship or bust for these guys. You know, this is this is the year. Um, and you know, they're, they're there, they're ready. They've got the pieces. They should win it. No one's looking at this group and saying that, uh, but it's like, okay, well, someone's got to be, be win the big 10 and might as well be in, in Indiana. Um, but it's like, if they so, but if, if they come close to that, there's still value, I think. And, and I think that still pushes the program forward. Um, e, e, as long as they're competitive, as long as they're a contender for it, I don't think they have to win it um for woodson to set, set himself up re- relatively well i mean if they, they finish top three top four i think you're still um coming out of this year in pretty good shape and saying okay you know woodson's done a nice job of, of building something let's see where he goes from here um you know uh and and, and obviously if they turn into something much better than that then, then it's even better for him yeah, I mean, I think it. I think it can be achieved in one of two ways: either a a Big Ten title or or b a a, a substantial NCAA tournament run, second weekend, maybe even a lead eight. You know, I think I think probably Indiana fans just feel like the Sweet Sixteen is a bit of a ceiling right now, and and that's that's a bit artificial. Like that's that's sort of arbitrary to just you know the program's recent history. But I think even like if if you told an Indiana fan right now that like the season would go reasonably well through it, you'd pick up some quality wins. You're not going to win the big 10, but it's not like you're going to sneak into the NCAA tournament on the last day, um, you know, after all sorts of frustration, and then you're going to get to the elite eight and fall out there. I think they would say that was a good season. I also think if you said you win a big 10 title, but maybe losing the round of 32, they'd be a little bit disappointed, but they'd say, okay, in year two, that's obviously progress. It just feels like maybe at least one of those two, um, would be a real sort of boost for Mike Woodson. Um, you know, just again, like in, in the way that you are ultimately constantly selling yourself in, in, in college basketball and you're constantly selling your work and, and the direction of travel that you are sort of taking your program on. It just feels, it just feels like one of those two would be a, a substantial boost. So we've got about five minutes left. Is there anything that Ray Thompson or Jalen Huchifino said to you that was particularly interesting? I mean, obviously this time of year, it's, it's all the usual fare of how are workouts going? What do you think of the freshmen? How are you adjusting to college? You know, I mean, I, I, I don't think there was a lot of stuff that nothing sort of dropped my jaw to the floor, but I don't know if anything grabbed you in particular. Yeah, not really. I mean, I, I, there there were a few interesting things. I thought Race Thompson's um, explanation of what he feel like he needs to do to become a better shooter was interesting. Um, you know, just just talking about hand placement, basically where he's um, basically where he's receiving the ball, how he sh- you know shot preparing. Basically, that was 
that the fact that he has a mechanical thing that he's looking at and saying, this is something I can do to be a better shooter, I think was, was interesting uh, just to see how he's working on it. Just say, he just gets your hand behind the ball so that you're not missing left and right anymore. Um, and, you know, Jalen Hutchinson seems to be embracing the idea of playing next to Xavier Johnson. Uh, and I think that's really obviously a big key is, you know, him being able and willing to get on the floor. Um, and just because I have a hard time, picturing Johnson moving to the two. I have a hard time picturing them not, uh, you know, playing Johnson, even no matter how good Huchifino plays, I can't see them not. I still think Johnson is one of the best five players. Uh, even if Huchifino plays really, really well in camp, I think Johnson's still one of the best five guys. Um, and he has to be a point guard in, in my estimation. I, I, I feel like a, 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 making him a two is harder. It's hard to make Johnson a two than I think it is to make Huchifino a two honestly. Um, but I think the fact that Hushifino seems to be embracing that, I think is important. Uh, you know, just, just looking at him saying, I will find a way to get on the floor. He's obviously been a combo before he's been more of a two. And obviously he really morphed into a one uh, at Montverde. And, and I think that was sort of a pretty important development for them. Um, but those are kind of the big things for me, I, I guess, is just those little things. I think another thing that you and I talked about, Ray Thompson, uh, the looking on his face when he was asked about Caleb Banks, I think was, uh, interesting. Obviously, you got to see him play more up close than I did. I've just seen highlight video. Um, but I, I, I just, you know, I mean, I, I consider him a very intriguing piece. I mean, I think when you just look at his highlight video, I, I think, man, where's where's the downside here? And why is this 6'8 dude with guard skills only, you know, rated somewhere in the 70s or whatever he is? Um, you saw that a little bit more up close. But I think the fact that Thompson, uh, it, it, it bank stands out to Thompson, I think matters, uh, it may, may, you know, for this season, but also for seasons going forward. Yeah, I mean, Banks grabbed me too, and I, 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 I mean, I got to see him play once in person. Obviously, I've seen his film, um, but it, it was interesting. Just race's kind of body language and, and the extent to which it, it felt like maybe that was one area where he was not paying full lip service. That there really was um, something in him that that you know he sees something in Caleb Banks, and it's worth saying. I mean, race Thompson played with Juwan Morgan. Um, he's played with Trace Jackson Davis. He himself is a really good uh, Big Ten basketball player. He knows what he knows what it looks like when a, a player like that has the talent and the skill. Um, you know, I, I still maintain that that Banks is probably a player that, for me, maybe needs a little bit of time. But at the same time, you know, it, and I, I want to be clear, I'm I'm not saying he's Calvert Cheney, but the, you know, um, one of the one of my favorite sort of stories about Calvert Chaney was that when he came in, he was one of the less heralded recruits in that 1980, I think it was 89 recruiting class. Lawrence Funderburk was highly regarded. Pat and Greg Graham, I think were both McDonald's all Americans and Chaney like broken his foot, either his junior year or his senior year. So he kind of was his, his, you know, his, his sort of public profile was depressed from a recruiting perspective. And within like days, everybody was like, Oh no, he's the best player on the team. You know, like he's, he's a, he, at least the best freshman, if not the best player on the team. You know, at the end of the day, we can project these guys all we want. You know, you, you put Ray Thompson in a gym with Caleb Banks. If Caleb Banks is real, Ray Thompson's going to know what it looks like. So that, that, that intrigued me too. Um, we're running out of time. I think the other thing you bring up is, is valid the sort of Hood Shafino, Xavier Johnson thing. And it was interesting to hear Hood Shafino talk about, like, hey, I've, I've played with Xavier Johnson before. Like, I, I grew up in Pittsburgh. I've, I've run with him in open gyms when he was at Pitt and all that kind of stuff. It, it's a reminder that, 
you know, these guys don't just meet for the first time when they get to campus or, or when they come on visits that, that a lot of these relationships can be at least somewhat pre-existing. So um, let's leave it there for this week. Again, this was a bit meandering, forgive us, but just kind of wanted to catch up after a couple of weeks away. We'll be doing more of these as we get deeper into the summer because we will be talking to more players. We'll also talk to Jordan Hulls soon. Um, so we'll have more from that. But for now, for the Indianapolis Star, for Bloomington Herald Times, for Dustin DePirac, I'm Zach Osterman. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon.